Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God has always, there's always been a provision that God has made for unclean people to be made cleansed. It's here. Notice that God's focus isn't on the judgment. God's not looking. He could have written this book and said, hey, if that's a, if they got a venereal disease and we find out that you could just excommunicate them, chop their heads off, deal with them, but God's making a provision for them to be cleansed, for them to be made whole, for them to come back into fellowship, for them to be made right with him again. And that seems to be the heart of the Lord, the desire of God. The book of Leviticus may seem boring and unimportant with all its rules and regulations, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Today, Pastor Bill will dive deep into Leviticus and teach you how you can apply this book to your life today. A constant theme beyond all the rules is how God has always provided a way for His people to be made new. You see, no matter where you come from or what you've done in your past, God provides a way for you. In Him, you can be made clean and whole. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Moving on, any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge in the... Okay, so let me stop this. This is a different one here. So... Disregarding semen, if it's discharged, they just needed to go wash. This wasn't to be a prohibition. This wasn't to make sin dirty or nasty. God was teaching his people, I think, just some pretty basic things. I, I'm not wanting to be gross, but I would presume that most married couples, if they have intercourse, they wash afterwards. God's saying, hey, go wash. And for them, the day started like ours. We've adopted it. And, you know, it would be they'd be unclean till evening. So it'd be within that day. The next day, they're welcome to go back and worship. There's no offering necessary. No one's sin. There's no sin offering. God is saying, hey, if you, if you do that, you go wash and be clean and continue on. So just want to point that out. Moving on. Now we've come, we've dealt with the men. Uh, we've dealt with a venereal disease. We've dealt with an emission of semen. Now we're going to deal with the woman and her challenges. And so verse 19, if a woman has a discharge, and the discharge from her body is blood. She shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on doing her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. This is speaking of a woman's normal monthly cycle. She'd be considered unclean for seven days. Anything that she would sit on, so forth and so on, it's, it's a discharge of blood would be considered unclean. Whoever she touches, verse 22, whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean till evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And again, the purpose of this is not, there's no sin involved in a woman's menstrual cycle in and of itself. There are some things that are, you know, I don't know what the situation was before Eve. I know that there was no pain in childbirth before Eve. That would have been nice for the ladies. Uh, just, I can't even imagine how that would have happened, but there was childbirth without pain. It was, the pain came as a result of what Eve did. I don't know what part of this plays and all of that, but God says for this scenario here, when that, the monthly issue happens, considered unclean. Why? Because there's blood. And so, Interesting in both of these scenarios here, there's two things that deal with life. 
Obviously, blood deals with life, and then the seed of man deals with life. God says she would be considered unclean. Uh, if you touch anything that she sat on or whatever you wash, um, anything that she's sat on, laid on, needs to be washed as well. And she's unclean for that period of seven days. Verse 24, if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days and her and every bed on which she lies shall be unclean. So woman on a menstrual cycle, um, I don't want to be gross, but I, I mean, for the most part, we grown folk. And as I'm reading different people on this, some people say that, you know, it's a uh, sex is prohibited for a woman that's on her cycle. Others would say, no, it's not prohibited. It just says if you do it, you got to wash and be unclean seven days. Pretty much what it says right here is it doesn't say that it's prohibited. It says if it does happen and it gets on you, that you both wash and you're unclean with her for seven days. And that's what it says. So that's it. Moving right along. Uh, verse 25, uh, we deal now with something other than a woman's uh, monthly menstrual cycle. Um, this discharge here is as the discharge for the man, something that's believed to be a result of some sort of sin. And so in verse 25, is if a woman has a discharge of blood, for many days other than that and other than the time of her customary impurity or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity all the days of her unclean discharge she shall be as the days of her customary impurity she, she shall be unclean the reason we believe it's a result of sin is because as we get down to the end of it he says when it's finally dealt with she's got to offer up a sin offering. And you don't ever offer up a sin offering unless there's been sin. So in this instance here, it's not a, a normal monthly cycle. It's a woman that's got an ongoing discharge of blood. There was a woman in the Gospels that the Bible says she had a, it was an ongoing a flow of blood and it made her unclean. She couldn't go in for worship. She was considered unclean. She couldn't be around people. People couldn't sit where she sat. It impacted her life in a long way. And it said that that woman had spent all of her money on doctors, but they couldn't help her. So she had been going to doctors and seeing doctors and trying to get help and they couldn't help her, but they, they took her money and she had nothing left. And then she saw Jesus walking in the crowds one day and she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be, I'll be made whole. She had faith. She trusted. She believed that Jesus could heal her and says that she went through the crowd and she just touched the hem of his garment. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? You know, virtue went out, power went out from me. And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? People are thronging around him on every side. He says, no, no, someone touched me. And it's interesting because everybody was touching him, but he said, no, no, someone touched me with, they touched me with an intention. They touched me. There was faith involved. He saw there was something different in her touch and he ministered to that lady and she was made whole and she was healed in that instant by the Lord. And then she would have needed to go and show herself uh, to the priest and be, and all the things we're going to read here be pronounced clean. And so moving on now, verse 26, every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall take for herself two turtle doves, two young pigeons, and bring them to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall offer the one as a sin offering. That's how we know there is sin. And the other as a burnt offering for consecration, same as before. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. And I would just point out once again that though there was sin involved 
and though sin brought its consequence into her physical body, there was made in the law a provision for her to be made whole, to be made cleansed physically, but also to be made cleansed spiritually, where she might be able to come back into fellowship and come back in to worship the Lord. I just want to, this is God's heart. So as I'm reading this, I'm, 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 I read over this over and over and over again, just saying, man, Lord, really? <laughs> Leviticus 15. And, but this is one of the things I see. God has always, there's always been a provision that God has made for unclean people to be made cleansed. It's here. Notice that God's focus isn't on the judgment. God's not looking. He could have written this book and said, hey, if that's a if they got a venereal disease and we find out that you can just excommunicate them, chop their heads off, deal with them. But God's making a provision for them to be cleansed, for them to be made whole, for them to come back into fellowship, for them to be made right with him again. And that seems to be the heart of the Lord, the desire of God. So a couple things for us, because, you know, I look at the Pharisees in the Gospels and wonder sometimes if we haven't become like them. What did the Pharisees do? They caught the woman in the act of adultery and they brought her before the Lord. They didn't care about her. They didn't care about her opportunity to be cleansed or forgiven. They didn't even bring the guy, never mind him and his sin. They brought her and they threw her before the Lord and they said, hey, Moses lost Ed Stoner. What do you say? They wanted to see what they could get. They wanted to see if Jesus was going to do the law. Or if he was going to do something else. And if you guys know the story, you know, Jesus did something more amazing. He, he stooped down in the sand, it says, and he began to write. And then tell us what he wrote. A lot of people suspect that he started writing down their sins. Because it says one by one, they started leaving. They started taking off. And, um, and it'd be like Jesus stooped down and said, okay. Since you brought her sin, we just write your name, Bill Buffington. And just start, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. But don't write no more. You know, just people just start taking off and leaving. Here, he left Jesus there with that woman. And what did he tell her? He'd tell her, you nasty, stinky woman, how could you? No. Told her, go and sin no more. Stop that. People don't want to talk. People forget that part of what Jesus said. He was like, we well, forgave her. Jesus merciful. He forgives everybody. No, no. He told her to go repent. He said, go. You're forgiven, but don't do it no more. Don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Stop that. It's okay to tell somebody, stop that. Y'all know that? Some people say, that's what you're judging me. No, you need to stop that. That's why we're here. Help you out. So Jesus makes a provision. God makes a provision for them here, makes a provision for us. So I'd ask you, is there any uncleanness in your life? It could be sexual sin. It could be some other issue, some other area of uncleanness, something that's just there in between you and the Lord, ruining fellowship, ruining intimacy, getting in between you and the Lord. There's a provision made. So everyone who wants to be clean can be clean. That's what Jesus has done for us. No one's left dirty that wants to be clean. And that's important for us to understand. Like, I'm never going to be dirty in God's presence unless I just didn't want to be cleansed because he made a provision for me to be clean, to be forgiven, to be washed, to be clean. And then to continue and walking in cleanness, walking in a purified way. God's made that available to us if we want it. If we won't have it, um, then we'll have all the ramifications, all the things. And all you got to do is look at the world. What people that are living in sexual immorality, what do they have? They got drama. They got heartbreak. They have disease, they have babies, they have challenges, they got, you know, I'm going to say this um, as I was going over this and looking at it. I've already had to talk about some other uncomfortable things, so I'll talk about it anyway. With regard to sexual immorality and maybe the most prominent way that we see it in our society is two people unmarried that are in a relationship desiring to express their love for one another in a marital kind of way. People having sex that shouldn't be having sex yet. I mean, there are even some, and it's sad, it's sad state of the church today. There are even some pastors, even some churches that are saying, you know, I, I don't know if that's so bad. 
There's a radio program that was coming on KJLH at night. I don't even know if we could call the guy a pastor at this point, but he was on the air arguing um, as people were bringing up that it's called fornication, it's wrong. He was saying, yeah, but I mean, that's, I mean, instead of saying that's what the Bible said, the way he would say, he's like, that's how, you know, that's how the older folks used to look at it, but now. And it's like, no, nah, that's how the Bible still says it today. It's like, we didn't rewrite this. But the attitude was like, eh, I don't know if it's so bad if two couples, if a couple lives together and, and they just try each other out and enjoy that and, and see what God does. And maybe it does end up in marriage. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know if it's so bad. I'm help you out. I hope we all just know it already, but I'm going to say it if you don't. It is bad. It is bad. It's awful. It's taking something that God created to be enjoyed in this context out of it. Here are some of the things that go wrong when a couple, even a well-meaning couple, that's not married yet, start having sex together. I talk to Christian couples, and whenever I do premarital counsel, obviously, when I'm doing premarital, I tell a, pre a couple before marriage, hey, don't do that. Save it for marriage, it'll be better. And the world is scaring them. I talked to a guy the other day, I sat down with a guy at Starbucks that's about to get engaged, and he's like, okay, he said, I had a pastor in Texas I was sitting with, and he told me, like, he, the pastor told him, what if you guys aren't compatible? You find out afterwards. And I was like, bro, I says, is God bringing y'all together? Like, can you pray and hear from God? If God is bringing y'all together, don't he know all of that? Ain't that for him to figure out? And that's where we go. We get all in God's business. God, I'm going to try to make sure that I want to make sure everything is going to be just the way I want it to be. And then you take it out of God's hands, take it in your hands, and you be sinning against God trying to make a marriage. Those don't work. And so you'll sin against God over here. So let's take a couple that's sinning against God before they get married, right? Then they get married over here. They're married now. Yay, we made it. We're married. Ha! Ah. And now there's all kind of insecurities. Why? Where you been? Where were you at? Who texted you? What's going on? Why are you so insecure about me? Because I know you don't fear God. No, you don't fear God. We were doing the do over here before we supposed to be Christians. They'll know that you don't really fear God. There's no real depth of relationship. Um, and so you sown into your own relationship. You've sown... Um, distrust. Um, you've demonstrated that you, you're not a man or woman that fears the Lord. Could that be overcome? Yeah, but it's there. You've done it. Another thing is this. You never want to take a relationship with a person and let it become the reason why you damage your relationship with the Lord because now it's like an idol. I love this person so much that even though God says no, this will make them happy and making them happy is more important than making God happy. Now they've stolen your heart away from God. Now that can God ever bless a relationship that's in competition with him? He can't. Thirdly, if you remember King Solomon, God warned him. God said, Solomon, don't intermarry with the pagan women because they'll turn your heart away from me. And what did Solomon do? Because he was a king and he had money and he had wealth. I mean, Solomon had it going on, you guys. He had one of the best starts you could have as a king. He, he was so humble. He prayed, God, just give me. God said, Solomon, anything you want, I'm going to give it to you. What do you want? Just give me wisdom to be a good leader to your people. God's, oh, I love that prayer. I, you didn't even ask for money or for the head of your enemies. I'm going to give you everything, Solomon. I'm going to give you more wisdom than anybody's ever had before you. I'm going to make you richer than anybody that's ever been. And, and I'm going to give you all these different things. He gave it to him. And as Solomon was in a place where he had it all, he had it all, had it going on, he started multiplying the wives. Because you know what happens when you're a rich king and you're a powerful nation? Other people look at you and say, man, I don't want you to ever come against us. And so they would say, hey, here, here, take one of my daughters into your concubine. Now you're part of us because one of my daughters, you have one of my daughters there. And they would give you a, a, give you a daughter to be at peace. 
it would be as though we were, you know, Inglewood and we grew strong and mighty and people feared us. And so Hawthorne, people's like, hey, the king of Hawthorne would be like, hey, man, here's one of my my daughters for wife. So hey, we're good. We're good. We got peace. Cool. And then the person from Westchester say, hey, here's one of my daughters. And, they just, and Solomon's like, OK, I'll take that one. I'll take this one. I'll take this one. You know what he ended up with? 700 wives, 300 concubines and some additional princesses. All together, you add it up. He could have had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a different woman every day for an entire year, never see the same woman twice, and there'd still be leftover women. He just obliterated the command of God, but you know what? The Lord came to him because the women that were coming from other nations, like, I want to alter to worship my God, Solomon. And you guys know how women can be, how wives are. Baby, please, I, want, I don't want to worship like that. I want to worship like this. I'm not happy worshiping like that. And Solomon was a sucker. And so he made her altar to worship her God. And then one of the other girls like, you made her one. <laughs> and then, you know, she did him like that. So he made one for her. And now this man that at one point had such conviction and just had such promise before the Lord. These women had him erecting altars to gods that Solomon knew were not even God. And God came and said, Solomon, I'm, I'm, I warned you, I told you, taking the kingdom from you. He lost everything. And you look at his last book, Ecclesiastes. He sounds like a madman. You know, he sounds like he just, you know, you, you hear the frustration of just a guy that had it all and then just blew it, just messed up. And that's Solomon. That's a guy who nobody could throw a bigger party than Solomon. He threw the biggest party. Nobody. If you, if you think women would satisfy you, if you think it's in relationships, just read Ecclesiastes. If relationships could satisfy, he would have been satisfied. He was miserable with all them women. If money could satisfy, he should have been satisfied. But he wasn't because money doesn't satisfy and at the end of his book, he says, you know what? I, I, he came to realize that he said that this is what you do. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon says, when it's all said and done, just fear God, keep his word, keep his commandments. So as we come to the end of this chapter, Leviticus 15, just the last couple verses. So this woman had her uncleanness she was able to be bring her offering before the lord verse 31 says thus you shall separate the children of israel from the, their uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them notice the issue for god was this their uncleanness and them defiling his tabernacle the place where where they meet with god at so i don't want you to be unclean but i don't want you defiling the place where people come to meet with me either and so what do we draw from that? Obviously, that God doesn't want us to be unclean either. He didn't want them unclean. He doesn't want us to be unclean. He said, at least they die in their uncleanness. That's always a threat. Sin does bring forth death. Some people will die in their sin. Some people will die because of their sin. For you guys that are familiar with the whole Calvary Chapel movement and how it began, um, in the very early days, obviously, it was Chuck Smith was the pastor that began Calvary Chapel, and there's thousands of churches now all over the world. But there was a period of time way back, they call it the Jesus People era or movement or whatever. There was this young man named Lonnie Frisbee. He was real young, and he was there accompanying Pastor Chuck and some of the other guys that were pastoring, then the guy had the gift of evangelism. And um, everybody that's around from that era would say that the guy was a gifted evangelist. And he would come forth and he would share the gospel and people were getting saved. And he had a powerful ministry at that time, led thousands of kids to the Lord. And the Lord was using his life powerfully, but he had a challenge with sexual sin. Somewhere from his past, there had been some issues, some things that had happened to him, been done to him. And there was a, he had a challenge with homosexuality. 
as he walked with the Lord, there was power upon his life. The Lord used him, but he slipped back into into sin. And there was a period where he just slipped away into sin. And he, he fell out of ministry, fell out of fellowship, fell out, and he moved away somewhere else. And he delved into this sin. And he contracted full-blown AIDS and was dying of his sin. He did repent, and he allowed them to interview him on his deathbed. Now watch this interview. Um, watch the videos of God using him and just people getting saved and kids coming to the Lord. And I'm just seeing like, wow, look, look at this guy and look at all the stuff that God's doing through him. It's amazing. And then I'm looking at him on this hospital bed. and He's got these big old sores and all this stuff all over. And he can, he's weak in his speech. You can hear that he's repented. You can hear that he's sorrowful for what he's done. He's dying because of his sin. And his words are really powerful. Every time I've done, I've done counseling with several kids that were struggling with homosexuality. And I would sit down and make them watch that way. And as you look at his video, you're looking at a guy that says, I knew better. I knew I shouldn't have. But I did. And I'm, this is what I got. I'm, I'm going to die because of my sin. I'm going to die because of what I did. I went out there and put myself in this predicament. I'm going to die because of it. And he died. He died of AIDS. A really painful, horrible death. A guy that knew better, could have done better, but he didn't. Why do I share that? Because that's the reality, right? God says right here, at least they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. God's warning them because he doesn't want it to happen. God's not warning them. That's a scare tactic. No, it's a, it's a reality, right? Every day people are dying of different things. It's not a scare tactic. It's God is saying, look, I just don't want, I don't want y'all to die. So don't do it. Walk in your purity, walk in your holiness, walk in pureness before me. Last two verses, 32 and 33. This is the law for one who has a discharge and for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby. And for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. So just a summary of everything we looked at in the chapter. These are the laws. These are the rules for those things um, concerning each one. So as we close, I would just challenge us all with this. One, if there be any area of impurity in your life that you would take the opportunity to be made clean, that you wouldn't walk in it, that you wouldn't continue in it, that you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't just stay stuck in something that Jesus died to free you from. You don't have no one has to stay in bondage to anything. No one has to remain in a place of uncleanness. And God doesn't bring it up to put you down. He brings it up to draw it out. And so if, if anything's been brought up that's there and it's there and you need to deal with it, then you want to deal with it. You want to just say, God, you know what? That's me. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. I want to be whole. I don't want to continue in this. I don't want to be defiled. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to be outside of the camp of your people. I don't want to be outside of a place where you can use me. I want to be clean. I want to be made whole. And it's confession and repentance. Uh, confess it to the Lord and repent of it. Turn away from it. God will empower you. God will empower you. God never commands you to do something he won't empower you to do. Um, the thing is that we have to make the choice. And if you make the choice, God will supply the power for you to walk in victory for his glory. And so if that be you, if that's your challenge, that's your struggle. Um, second, as I looked at each thing here and there was always the, the opportunity to be cleansed and they had to be washed. If you got dirty, get washed. If you got dirty, get clean. Um, and it was washing themselves constantly. Clean your clothes, wash yourself with water. Clean your clothes, wash yourself with running water. Clean your clothes, wash yourself with water. If I could just encourage us that our believers and we do know the Lord and we are walking strong with the Lord and everything else, that you guys know we live in a filthy world and we pick up stuff. 
And it might be at school that you pick up some junk. And it might be at work that you pick up some junk. And it might be as you drive home on the freeway that you pick up some junk. From wherever you may pick up some junk from. The way that we remain in a place of just being clean before the Lord is just continue to wash ourselves in the Word of God. And so if I could encourage you, challenge you, that um, you would have a systematic, ongoing washing. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like Him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.